We don't serve a dead king. There is no savior if Jesus is not alive. And this morning, I hope you've come here because you want to praise the name of your king. And you want to give him the glory that he alone deserves for having found you in your sin and rescued you from the depths of it. And brought you life where all there used to be was death. This morning, we come to proclaim the good news that our sin through Jesus Christ has been atoned for. Our sin has been paid for. We are rescued this morning through the blood of Christ. And that hope that we have in Jesus is not a hope for someday. It's not a hope to come in the future alone. But the hope we have in Jesus and the life we so desire is the life that we have right now in this very moment because of what Christ has done. And I want to remind you of that from God's word today from 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have a copy of God's word, look to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's toward the back of your Bible. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is giving some encouragement. Hear this, Christians, some encouragement on how to find hope in a life that is marked by struggle and grief and trials. Anybody in here going through any struggles or grief or trials? If so, here is the news of God to us as his people about the good news of what Christ has done. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through a faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in him, for the payment of your sin. I want you to rejoice this morning, Christian. I want you to rejoice, brothers and sisters, that you have been born again into a living hope, brought to you by God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, we are not here to check off a Christian time card or to earn for ourselves salvation with God. 
We are here this morning because we believe Jesus has rescued us from the depths of our sin and we can't help but sing about it together and to praise him this morning. Let's pray together. Oh God, may you be blessed. We worship you this morning because we were dead in our sin. We were defiled. We were rebels to your kingdom. And God, though we deserved your wrath to be poured out on us forever, you operate by mercy and grace and love. And Father, we are here this morning as eyewitnesses and the evidence of the fact that you are good to us. And Father, this morning, we pray that every utterance of our lips, everything we sing, every motive of our hearts, God, we pray that it all might be to glorify you and to praise you for who you are. God, we thank you that we were rescued not into a dead hope, but a living hope through Jesus Christ. That because he has raised from the dead, that means we have life right now and life to come. And Father, we give you praise for your perfect plan from the foundation of the world. That, God, you would set out to rescue sinners like us. God, who are we that you are mindful of us? The king of all creation, the God of all the universe. And, Father, we praise you this morning that you have brought to us an inheritance that cannot be ripped from us. An inheritance that is secure for us. That you promise us, God, that because of what Jesus has done, by your perfect plan, God, you promise that one day, one day we will dwell with you forever. Perfect fellowship, no sin, no sorrow, no grief, but simply the good news of worshiping and praising our God forever. Oh, Father, help us to see this truth right now and help us to live it out. God, may we as Christians be joyous and happy that we have been redeemed from our sin and we can cry aloud today, we have life. We have life everlasting to you, God. Be glory and honor forever and ever. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. If you would, would you grab a copy of God's Word this morning and turn with me uh, in God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we are going to be focusing on verses 3 and 4 this morning. Listen, we always celebrate the resurrection. We always, uh, our hope is completely based in the resurrection every single Sunday we get together. But this is a Sunday every year where we get to focus and really emphasize the fact that Christ is not dead, but in fact has risen from the dead. And because of that, we have all the reason to celebrate and all the reason to have joy this morning because what we need to do as we gather together as Christians is remind ourselves of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. That because of what Jesus has done, we can have life everlasting and joy that surpasses all understanding. And this morning I want to point you to that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, probably viewed as the, maybe, maybe the greatest chapter on resurrection that you find in the Bible. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul lists out for the church in Corinth what are the key basic things about Jesus, about the gospel of Christ that we need to remember and to, to cling to in everyday life? What are the things we need to understand and believe about Jesus to really be saved? What are the foundational things that we need to believe on in order to, to have eternal life? Y'all remember, I was back in the 90s, uh, there was a, a trend that went around Christian circles. Uh, it was the what would Jesus do bracelet phase. Everybody remember that phase? Uh, what would Jesus do? I think I had four bracelets of different colors. You put them on bumper stickers. You had them everywhere. What would Jesus do was a big thing. And it was meant to, I understand what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a, a reminder to think about Christ and, and what would he do in certain situations that you might find yourself in. But here's something, as you think back on it, I don't know that the right question is, what would Jesus do? I think instead, maybe the right question to answer would be, what has Jesus done? What has he accomplished already? Because what we need to understand as Christians is it's not our efforts or our good works or even the things we do that rescue us from our sin. It is what Jesus has already definitively accomplished. And so this morning, what I want to do is point you to what Jesus has done for you and where you can find salvation and eternal life in the midst of death. And what I want to focus on this morning is what I'm calling God's perfect plan. God's perfect plan. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. And reading to verse 4, I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, because we love God's word, we're going to stand together as we read it, and then I'll let you sit down for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. And Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we ask you to help us to understand these verses and to cling to the good news of what Christ has done for us. Father, I pray that what you would show us definitively this morning is what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection mean for us. That, Father, as we look upon your word, that, God, we might behold your beauty and give you glory and worship today. So, Father, would you help us? Would you teach us? Would you feed us by your word so that we might love you more and hate sin more? Father, would you do this uh, so that people would see your, your greatness? Father, I pray you would rescue souls this morning. Father, I pray that you would stir up the affections of your people for you. And, Lord, that we would cling to Christ together. Lord, we ask you to do all this for your own namesake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. God's perfect plan. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God's plans are perfect because mine are far from it. My plans are terrible. I don't know if I've ever had plans go right. I think every plan I've ever made has faltered or failed in some tragic way. In fact, I make a joke of it now that every time we plan an outing as a church or every time we talk about going to have a picnic at the park, you can guarantee it's either going to snow or it's going to rain. Uh, it's going to be terrible. I just, For some reason, all the plans I make, they, they, are, they are terrible. They never come to fruition like I think they will in my head. I'm glad that God's plans... And his ultimate plan of redemption is perfect. Because it's only by that that I can know that we can actually be saved 
through what Christ has done. And I want to show you this morning that God's perfect plan necessarily includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You cannot be saved if you do not believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Why do I say that? Because Paul says it here in these verses. And I want to show you from verse 3 and 4 just how much we need to be reminded of what Christ has already done for us. Now, Paul starts out this chapter by instructing the Corinthians that he had passed on to them this good news about Jesus. That Paul had been faithful to proclaim to the Christians in Corinth that they could be saved through the finished work of Christ. And he had given that to them. And he tells them that that is what he received from God. That he, wouldn't, he didn't make it up himself. It wasn't his own opinion. But that he had been given given the gospel and he imparts the gospel onto those who he proclaims to. And just so you know, Paul is proclaiming and reminding Christians of the good news of what Christ has done. So guess what? If you're a Christian this morning, what's God doing? He's reminding you of the good news of what Christ has done for you. Because we need to be reminded, oh, how quickly we forget. And the Corinthians, in the midst of a world, and a society, and a culture that didn't love God, they needed to be reminded often of what Jesus had purchased for them. I want you to notice, he tells us in verse 1 and 2, he says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He tells them that this good news of Jesus is what they stand on. That this good news of Jesus is, by, is, is the way by which they are saved. That this good news proclaimed to them actually is the good news of salvation. And he tells us that all of this does not originate with man, but originates with God. He says, I preach to you which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. That this is the good news that has been delivered to us as human beings who are stuck in our sin. And Paul has been faithful to do that. And he tells us that this good news that God gives, this good news that God reveals, this good news of salvation that God provides is the result of his loving, gracious, compassionate character. That it's because God does love supremely and is so merciful that we have this good news brought to us. I remind you, God didn't owe us anything. But instead, by his compassionate mercy and grace, he reveals to us this good news through his son Jesus. And it's the result of God's perfect plan from the foundation of the world. Listen, contrast that with our imperfect, destructive plans that we come up with. God's word tells us this is what happens. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 and 16, verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man. But what does it lead to? Death. And that's what every other, other religious philosophy arrives at. When it's based on what man can do or what we've plotted for ourselves, guess where the destination goes? To death. And Paul wants to highlight for the Corinthian believers the essential points or truths of this good news delivered to them. So what is vital to understand if we are ultimately to be saved this morning? If you're going to be rescued from your sin, what do you need to believe in? What, are, what, are you, what do you need to trust in if you are to be rescued? 
Well, number one, from these two verses, I believe we see the indispensable death of Jesus. That part of God's perfect plan is the indispensable death of Jesus. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance. What's he saying? This is what's really important. This is what is primary. This is what you need to understand and grasp. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us guessing, but through Paul tells us, hey, you want to know what's really, really important? Here it is. He says, I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Now, this may be the earliest creed or confession that we have of the breakdown of what is the summary of the good news of Jesus. What is the gospel? And here Paul tells us that an indispensable part of the gospel is the death of Jesus. And I ask you, why is the death of Jesus a necessary part of the good news of Jesus? Well, it's because the death of Jesus is unique to all other deaths in human history. Why? Because of what he adds to it. That Christ died for our sins. You know what's different about the death of Jesus compared to every other? Is that he died not for his own sins, but he died for our sins. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21 tells us that it's by the death of Jesus that we are reconciled to God. That our sins are not counted towards us. That we aren't punished for our sin because of the punishment he took upon himself. And that because Jesus would die for your sin, you might be declared righteous before God. That Jesus would absorb, he would atone for, he would cover your sin by becoming sin for you. So what this tells us is in chapter, in chapter 15 verse 3 is that Jesus' death was a substitution. He died for guilty people, even though he himself was innocent. He would sacrifice himself so that we might be forgiven. Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God for our sin. He would drink the cup of the wrath of God completely for us. And it cost him everything. That's why in Matthew chapter 26 Verse 39, we find Jesus in the garden praying, Father, if this cup can pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said if this cup could be drank by somebody else, but there was no one else, because there was no one innocent. So he had to drink. He would absorb the full wrath of God for us. And can I help you? How does this matter to you on Easter Sunday before you go have ham or chocolate bunnies or whatever you're going to go do? Why does this matter to you? Well, because every single one of us in this room, if we're breathing air, we're all sinners in need of saving. Every single person. Okay, I'm good, y'all. I don't care how cleaned up you look. All you sweet ladies in here looking all nice, getting all dolled up. I don't care how good you look. Guys, ooh, Tony making me look Making me look bad with that suit now. Making me look bad. Doesn't matter how we dress it up though, brother. Between all of us in the room, we know that because we are human beings, we're also sinners in need of saving. 
If there's to be any solution, if there's going to be any salvation for us, it must come through the death of the one who is holy and blameless. The one who is perfect in every way. And according to God's perfect plan, the death of Jesus is a necessity. He adds this, verse 3, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What are the scriptures that he's referring to? Old Testament, right? So what he's telling us is that the death of Jesus was not just a last-second decision. The death of Jesus wasn't just something that was added as a plan B because the first plan didn't work. We're told by Paul that Jesus' death on the cross was in accordance with everything God had already revealed to them. That God's plan for rescue had been in place from the beginning. And everything Jesus did and said was according to that Father's plan. So where is the death of Jesus found in the Old Testament? Stop it now. Now you're just showing off. Somebody reads the Bible. You're exactly right, brother. Isaiah 53. But even go back further than that. Can you find anything? Genesis 3. Okay, we're going to get to that especially in just a second. Y'all, there's a really, uh, a really well-known story of sacrificial death. Mm, Genesis chapter 22. A father takes his son up on the mountain to sacrifice him. That sounds awfully familiar. Except in the case of Isaac, he's spared, isn't he? God provides a sacrifice for them. Do you know what Genesis 22 is doing? It's giving you a picture of what Jesus would do. That Jesus would go up on the mountain and he would die, but this he wouldn't be spared. He would pour out his life. So that we might be forgiven. What about Exodus chapter 12? Do you all remember anything in there about sacrifice? Oh wait, it's the Passover lamb. Right? The plague of the death of the firstborn. And God provides a sacrifice for his people. That if they, if they believe in his provision and do what he says. They might actually be spared from death. Now does that sound familiar? That by the sacrifice of a perfect lamb without blemish or spot, they might be spared death and might live. What's God doing in the Passover lamb? He's giving you a picture of Jesus and what he would do for you. And then Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, that by his stripes we would be healed. By his death, we would be rescued. And so the death of Jesus was in accordance with the purposeful plan of God displayed throughout the scriptures. Now, those aren't the only places, but those are some of the big ones. Do you realize that God, from the very beginning, was pointing humanity to his son over and over again? So the, the death of Jesus is indispensable when it comes to the gospel message. We cannot be saved if we don't believe that Jesus died for us. And I want to show you, and I want you to notice that Paul says Jesus definitively died. It's a reality. He's not making it up. It's not a myth. You want to know how we know? Because if he was making it up, there were still people alive who could have corrected him. And because Jesus died, guess, that, guess what that implies? That Jesus actually lived. 
He's a real man. He's not a figment of our imaginations. He's not a, a figure of literature. He is a real man who lived and died in accordance to the plan of God. Number two, so not only is the death of Jesus indispensable to the gospel, but we also see the indispensable burial of Jesus in verse 4. We're told by Paul that he was buried. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus' death was no illusion. Some opponents or people who deny the resurrection will say that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He just passed out. Folks, Paul says in verse 4 that the death of Jesus is a reality. And the reason we can tell it's a reality is because he was buried. Definitively buried. And just so you know, I, I, I hear people who don't believe in the resurrection will say, well, the people just didn't realize he wasn't dead and they couldn't tell the difference. Folks, in the first century, they weren't dumb to what death looked like. It wasn't as if they were unaware of when somebody was actually dead. And we're told here that Jesus was definitively dead, that he died on the cross, and he was buried. The followers of Jesus believed he was dead. The Roman officials believed he was dead. So why is the burial of Jesus a necessary point of the gospel? Well, because if Jesus didn't really die then our sin has not really been paid for. There is no real atonement or forgiveness for sin if Jesus didn't really die. Because we're told from the scriptures that the, the penalty of sin is necessarily death. If Jesus didn't die, there is no forgiveness of sin, and everyone who proclaims his death are liars. We're told in Isaiah 53 that the suffering servant would die for our sin, really die so that we might be forgiven. So we have the indispensable death of Jesus. It is necessary. The indispensable burial of Jesus. It is necessary. And number three, the indispensable resurrection of Jesus. We're told that Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised. Again, Paul presents the resurrection of Jesus as a reality, one which could have been disputed if it were untrue. The people still alive could have shown it to be false that Jesus rose from the dead. So why is the resurrection of Jesus a necessary part of the gospel? Why do you need to believe in the resurrection to truly be saved? Well, because if Jesus is not alive, then he can't offer you life either. A dead man can't make you live. If Jesus was not resurrected, then his death was not sufficient to pay for our sin. Because what else was the father doing in re resurrecting his son than displaying that the death of Jesus, his sacrifice for our sin, was acceptable to the father? And if Jesus remains in the grave, then his payment for sin is insufficient. 
and you must somehow make up the difference. Folks, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, we are not alive, there is no payment for our sin, and if Jesus was not resurrected, then Jesus is a liar. He is no greater than all the other self-proclaimed saviors who have come upon the scene. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he is not to be trusted. Not only that, we're told in verse 4 that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See that phrase again? That because... Jesus' death was proclaimed in the Old Testament. We also see that his resurrection is proclaimed in the Old Testament. Paul says the resurrection of Jesus was presented in the Old Testament and is a necessary part of God's redemptive plan. So I ask you, where is the resurrection of Jesus found in the Old Testament? Now we come back to Sam the Wise, who told us that in Genesis chapter 3, there is a picture there. What is the picture? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, what is called the first proclamation of the good news is we're told that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and that his heel would be bruised. What is the difference here? What is the difference between these two wounds that are talked about? Well, the wound inflicted upon the serpent is a mortal wound. It is one of defeat, and the wound of the seed of the woman is not as severe. There's a difference between the bruisings that take place. One is a bruising of defeat, the other a bruising of victory. And in that, we see that Jesus, while he would taste death for us, death would not hold sway over him. Where else do we see it? Anybody remember a prophet named Jonah? He hated the Ninevites. He didn't think they deserved rescue from God. So he refused to go and to tell them the good news of God's grace. And what we find in Jonah chapter 1 is that Jonah is cast into the sea so that the winds and the waves might stop and the, the sailors might be preserved. And we're told in, jo in Jonah chapter 1 that, that Jonah descended into the depths of the sea. Now, there's a controversy because some believe that Jonah just passed out and some believe that Jonah died and was resurrected. But here's what we do know. Regardless of whether you believe Jonah was near death or he was good and dead, Jesus points to Jonah as a picture of what he would do. Jesus says that as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will also be in the ground for three days. See, the picture there is the death of Jonah or the, the near death of Jonah was a shadow of Jesus' death and resurrection. Where else do we see it? Back to Eric, Isaiah 53 Verse 10, that the suffering servant who will bring salvation through his own death, we're told in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, his days will be prolonged. That's a funny thing to say about somebody who's going to die. 
What's he pointing to? What's implied in Isaiah 53 verse 10 is that the servant, the suffering servant, God would provide for the rescue of his people that he would have life after death. And we're told in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, this is all according to the purposeful plan and the perfect plan of God. It's all in accordance with everything he has said. And Jesus accomplishes everything the Father sets him to do. He is completely faithful. And without the resurrection of Jesus, can I help you? Without the resurrection of Jesus, then we know that the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the burial of Jesus would be rendered historically irrelevant. If there is no resurrection, then who cares about the death of Jesus? If there is no resurrection, who cares about his perfect life lived? If there is no resurrection, who cares that he was buried? If there is no resurrection, there is no joy for you today. If there is no resurrection, there is no hope, there is no life, there is no peace, there is nothing if there is no resurrection of Christ from the grave. Because without the resurrection, everything else is meaningless. And the plan of God would be seen as a failure. But Paul writing within a generation of these events boldly proclaims the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as historical realities. How sweet is the news of God's loving plan of rescue. This is how much he loves you. This is how much he cares for you. That he would not only plan your rescue, but he would bring it about perfectly. That we might be able to sing along with the hymn at Calvary, which says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. We sing that in the life, death, and resurrection of his son, God was accomplishing his perfect plan to save sinners like us and bring us into life. And that's what we celebrate every time we gather together. So Paul doesn't present bad news. He presents good news brought by and through Jesus for our salvation. And these truths, they do bring hope. They do bring joy and peace and grace and mercy to us who desperately need it. Behold this morning, as people who are hearing God's word, behold the wondrous mystery of Christ. That though you and I were rebels and enemies of God, that God would love us so much that he would send his son to die in our place. That on the cross we would see God's wrath and his love poured out at the same time. Behold the wondrous mystery of Jesus who sacrificed for you and for me. And behold the resurrection of Christ that not only brings life but promises us the fact that God is going to send his son again. 
in the future. And when Jesus comes again, he won't come as a baby in a manger, but he'll come to inaugurate and to consummate and to bring into fullness the kingdom of God for us to dwell with him forever that we might be able to celebrate and to sing his praises. The living Christ extends to you this morning the words of eternal life. You can be saved here this morning through Christ. You can be rescued, not because you're good, but because Jesus is great. You can be saved this morning. And you can find joy and peace and grace and mercy and hope. You can find all of that through God's perfect plan the provision of forgiveness for our sins. And there's really only one question to ask. What are you going to do? To me, there are only two responses to this. You can either believe all that Christ has said about himself. You can either believe all the testimony that Paul is giving you about who Jesus is and what he has done. Or you can reject. You can seek to be your own God. Try to find salvation on your own. Only to be left in death. What we believe about Jesus really does matter. Whether we believe in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus does matter. Tim Keller said this, he's a pastor and a theologian, and I really do think it gets to the point. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he has said? Folks, you are presented from God's word the truth. We either believe it or we reject it. And I'm pleading with you this morning. As a minister of God's word, I'm pleading with every single one of you this morning, don't believe things about Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust in him, believe he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again for you. Believe and repent. Turn away from sin. Sin promises you joy, but it will only leave you wanting. Like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. It may seem like it's going to satisfy, but it never will. Instead, turn from sin and fleeting pleasure. And turn to the one who promises that at his right hand are pleasures evermore. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, I'm going to urge you by the word of God, don't leave here until you've confessed sin and turned to Christ. And I'm happy to talk with you about that. I'm happy to pray with you after we're done. But do not leave here guessing whether you believe in Christ but knowing that he is your savior. And Christians in the room, we've been entrusted with this gospel. We've been entrusted with this good news. 
The same way that Paul passed on the good news to those who he's writing to. So we pass on to those around us the good news of what Christ has done. We've received good news of life in Christ and we proclaim that good news. We proclaim a living Savior given for our rescue and redemption. And so live your life in obedience to, to what God has called you to, to be a minister of reconciliation, to be a proclaimer of the truth, and to point people all around you who have no everlasting hope and peace to the everlasting hope and peace found in Jesus. Do everything in your life for the glory of Christ. Enjoy, Christians. Enjoy the abundant life that Jesus has brought. Live in the freedom of what he has purchased for you. Enjoy it. Don't be sour pusses. Go out there and show a world that Jesus makes you glad. And that salvation is something to be celebrated. That we might know the joy of salvation and proclaim it to a lost world that knows nothing but death. Folks, we are not just recipients of this good news. We are proclaimers. And believers, what better news can we bring to our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, than to tell them that there is forgiveness from sin, that there is life where there used to only be death. This morning, I want you to look upon Christ. I want you to look upon him. And if you've never trusted in him, I want you to trust in him this morning. I want you to see Believe what he has done for you. Repent and believe the gospel as Jesus said. And Christians in the room, we are entrusted with the good news. Let us go and share it. Let us go and proclaim it to the very ends of the earth. This morning, we're going to participate in Lord's Supper together. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that we don't go into Lord's Supper with unrepentant hearts. But we go into Lord's Supper and celebrating together in submission to Christ in everything. And so this morning during our time of response, maybe you need to talk about with someone about what it means to be truly saved. I'm happy to talk with you about that. Or maybe you need someone to pray with you. Um, maybe you need, maybe you need to, to talk to somebody about what it means to, to be baptized or to join a church. Or maybe you just need to turn your eyes back to Christ one more time. As we prepare to celebrate his death for us and his resurrection, maybe you need to go before God and lay before him the sin and the burdens that you're carrying and to find hope and forgiveness and peace in him alone. This morning, there is nowhere else we can go. There is no one else who has the words of eternal life. Let us run to him. Let us cast ourselves before him and give him praise. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I love you, and I thank you that from your word you show us the indispensable death of Jesus, the indispensable burial of Jesus, and the indispensable resurrection of Christ. That because Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again, we can be saved from our sin. We can know life, and we can know life more abundant. And so this morning, God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the people in this room, whether it is to draw them to yourself, that they might turn away from sin and find forgiveness in Jesus alone, God, that you might draw them to your throne and show them your beauty and your grace and your mercy in the eyes of Christ. 
Father, that they might, they might lay everything before him and find forgiveness that they so desperately need. And Father, for us as Christians this morning, that you might show us that we do have life this morning. We do have life that is above all else. That we do have life that helps us to continue to glorify you when all the circumstances we face seem to be so traumatic. Father, I pray this morning that you would find us responding to you in faith once again, casting our sin and our cares before you. And Father, as we get ready to celebrate Lord's Supper, I pray, Father, you would help us, God, by rooting out sin in our lives, show us where we fail you and help us to bring it to you and find the forgiveness in, in Christ that we so desperately need. Lord, I pray that we would worship you this morning, that we wouldn't reject, but Father, we'd believe. We believe that your son has done everything for us. And we believe it's only by his stripes that we are healed. So, Father, as we spend time in our service responding to you, help us to fix our eyes back on Christ again, to see his beauty, to praise you for the work he has accomplished. We love you. We thank you. Have your way in our hearts, oh God. We ask in Jesus' name.